Twenty-five years ago this week, the world watched in horror as the nation of Rwanda exploded in brutal genocide that lasted for approximately three months between the Hutus, who were in the majority government, and the Tutsis. It is estimated that nearly one million people were slain during that time, and their story has been dramatically retold in several documentaries and the 2004 Oscar-nominated movie Hotel Rwanda. Yet while it is impossible to ignore the carnage, the nation has undergone both a physical and spiritual transformation in the intervening years. The Lord has been working in remarkable ways. To hear about all this and more, this week I am joined by my CP colleague Sam Smith, who was recently in Rwanda with a World Vision press trip. I'm also joined by Aimable Insengiumba, who is a program director with World Vision Rwanda, and he joins us today from Huye in the southern province of Rwanda. Sam and Aimable, welcome to the CP Podcast. Thanks for having us. It's good to be here. Welcome, Aimable. So good you could be with us today. Thank you. Well, let's start. This is such a this is such a fascinating subject to me. I studied the Rwandan genocide in college, and I remember I actually do remember when this happened. I was just a, a child, and you know, let's start. You know, with you, Sam. It's your first time in Africa. You, you know, was there anything that surprised you? What was it like? Uh, first time in Africa, first time uh, across the Atlantic for me. Um, I guess I was just surprised by um, just the vibrant life and the, just how green the, 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 the landscape was and the nature there. Um, and the people there were so uh, friendly, so nice, very hospitable, um, which is a great change of yeah. pace for around here in D.C. Oh, where, I'm sure. Yeah, the opposite could be said, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know, I was just struck by the beauty of the country and the beauty of the people. And, uh, you know, like you said, you know, you heard all about the events that happened uh, nearly 25 years ago. But to go there and to see uh, how secure the country is, mm-hmm. um, how united the country is just 25 years later, um, and how how much forgiveness has played a role in, in all this, and just forgiveness and unity. That's amazing. I've seen pictures of Rwanda. It's absolutely beautiful. So, Sam, while you were in Rwanda, you had the opportunity to meet a Tutsi woman who, during the, during the genocide, a Hutu militant literally chopped off her arm. Tell us about that. Yeah, you know, that, that's right. Uh, she, so this was in the eastern province uh, in a village called Nyamata, mm-hmm. uh, kind of a rural area. Um, so, you know, during when the genocide happened... Uh, Tutsis were told to go to certain buildings right. or areas to uh, where they would quote unquote be safe from the the violence. And a lot of these places were churches. So Alice uh, and her husband at the time, her nine month old uh, baby, I think it was baby daughter, uh, were hiding in this one church. Um, and I wouldn't say they're militants, but mm-hmm. the community members who were incited to go out and 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 kill the. Uh, the Tutsis, they went and found wow. them in this church, but somehow Alice and her family were able to escape. Um, but they went to another church, and uh, or I wouldn't say another church, but they went to uh, somewhere else where they were actually eventually found. Mm-hmm. And during this uh, time, 
uh, Alice's hand was chopped off uh, by this man named Emmanuel. Um, and all the while, Emmanuel's colleagues had killed uh, the baby daughter. Alice says that they uh, cut her in two. In 1994, she had a nine-month-old baby girl. When they were attacking her in 1994, that's when they killed her baby, and she's not here today. In April 1994, when the genocide started, that's when they all came together and started killing uh, masses. And her parents were um, burnt, burnt in, in this church in Yamata. So obviously, you know, horrible atrocity oh, there. Then the husband wow. was also beaten. But both the husband and Alice uh, survived. They eventually refound each other again in ID, IDP camp. Um, but uh, even from the time at the IDP camp, Alice... Uh, and let's just say IDP sounds as internally yeah. displaced persons. That's right. Yep. So even in the IDP camp, Alice told the reporters who met with her at her house that uh, she and her husband knew that they needed to eventually forgive the perpetrators. And she said that she prayed... Wow. For God even then, to... soon after it happened. Yeah, I mean, even then, wow. I mean, you know, you got to reprocess. Oh, I wouldn't say soon, but she spent like, let's, I guess, backtrack. She spent a few days lying in a mass grave with yeah. a bunch of other dead bodies oh, until the, uh, the Rwandan Patriotic Front went mm-hmm. and picked up the, the people that were still alive. So then after a few days of living kind of unconscious with the injury that she had, having lost so much blood, then she eventually was able to get to the IDP camp after... Uh, you know, some medical treatment, but uh, they eventually refound each other. So she prayed for God to to bring to her the perpetrators that committed these crimes, so that she could eventually forgive them. Forgive them. So, in the way that yeah, the way that happened, uh, I don't think she expected it because uh, soon after this happened, there's a an association formed uh, within the community of uh, of genocide perpetrators mm-hmm. and genocide survivors. Um, who, I guess, had asked for forgiveness and then also forgiven. Uh, so mm-hmm. they, they were then, at that point, working together to rebuild some of the houses and the buildings that had been destroyed. So Alice was involved in doing that, and I think World Vision was a, a large, large part of helping them also. Uh, so she was involved with that, and she met a man named Emmanuel, uh, who was also working through that, and they got to know each other. Then eventually Emmanuel... Uh, came to her and told her that it was him that chopped off uh, her arm, or I guess her hand, technically. And uh, she says that she was so shocked that she fainted and was taken oh, to wow. the hospital. Yeah, imagine. Um, and then eventually, I guess when she came to, it still took her a few days to mm-hmm. come to grips with what he had told her. And uh, I guess after talking with her husband, her husband was very upset about this because, you know, he doesn't want her working, or he didn't really want her working mm-hmm. with a person who had, you know, committed these crimes against right. their family. Right. But after a few days, I guess they came to the realization that the Lord, you know, calls on them to forgive those who trespass against them. So she eventually um, went to him and told him that he was forgiven. And, uh, you know, I guess the story goes on from there. They became friends, and they, they, they still uh, see each other on occasion today.
And so tell us more then about what they're doing together. You, said, you mentioned in your article that is up on thechristianpost.com, that not only has she forgiven him, but together now they're running it's it's not a business but it's a it's a community organization that's helping rebuild the community they do this together rebuild homes and they're actually undertaking an enterprise together a man who chopped off her hand and now they're working together that's right um so they uh, according to Alice they have rebuilt or repaired as many as 180 homes in their community, I believe. And I yeah. think there are maybe a dozen or two that are pretty much done, but they just have to put the rubes on. So, I mean, they've, they've re, I mean, obviously 180 plus, that's, that's a lot of work to do. Um, but, you know, they, I think the whole country as a whole realized that, you know, this uh, need for reconciliation was there because, you know, you, you had a lot of communities that were split in half, kind of, mm-hmm. a, you know, Hutu Tutsis. Right. They needed to work together to rebuild the, the their communities that had been destroyed. So, I mean, that I think that was just a, a focal point across the country, right. not just within their community. How typical do you think, I mean, th- these, these stories that you tell, you know, we know that these forgiveness accounts have occurred in many places. Alice is just one of them. How common is this in Rwanda? How do you see? I mean, did you hear other stories like this where, I mean, literally the man who literally mutilated your body in an act of such savagery is now a friend? And how, how common is that? Well, I mean, it's hard for me to say how common it is overall. I, I know that from uh, speaking with some people there that the. Obviously, there's going to be some people who are still hurt and right. may never get over what had happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but what people have told me, anyway, is that by and large, at a national level, there is no more Hutu Tutsi division. So mm-hmm. I would assume that, you know, many, I would assume that it at least is common to a certain level. I'm not sure if it's more common or uncommon, but it's definitely common to where I've talked with at least three or four different sets of families that could say, you know, we've made amends and we you know we're in this kind of relationship together. Uh, I just filed another story today for the Christian post that, um, examines the story of Andrew and Kalik's day. And there mm-hmm. were two neighbors in the Southern province, uh, that, and, uh, Kalik's day, uh, he was one of the men who helped lead, uh, the Tutsis to their death traps and mm-hmm. some of these yeah. churches or other buildings that they were being led to. Um, and all the while, he was friends with this guy named Andrew, who they grew up together. They were both Hutus, but Andrew married and married a, a Tutsi woman, mm-hmm. so he essentially became a Tutsi lover, as uh, they would say. Uh, uh, yeah. Basically, he's, I guess, no longer, you know. No, no, no longer part of the tribe. Right. So uh, what happened was Cleek's Day, he w- was responsible for helping lead, uh, at least as I understand it, help lead Andrew's in-laws to their death uh, somehow, and Andrew and Kalikste had that. Uh, obviously, there was tension there between the two families, and uh, when Kalikste went off to prison, there was still the tension there between the two wives and their mm-hmm. kids. But uh, as Kalikste detailed for us, something happened with him in prison where he was led to understand that he needed to seek forgiveness. He came to Christ, and he helped lead others to forgiveness. So five years later, when he gets out of prison... He was, they were able to mend the relationship between uh, Andrew and Cleek's day. And so that's just another story of, of reconciliation. But 
I would say it's it's common to a certain level where this is, you know, enough people out there that have these kinds of stories. It's amazing. What role has the church played in fostering reconciliation and forgiveness, and, and how has World Vision, your organization, uh, helped facilitate that also in, in communities where this, I mean, it was Rwanda is a small country, but there were communities that were really heavily affected by this. I mean, you, you've spoken of your own, uh, your own family was a refuge for people who were really victimized, but what role has the church played and, and World Vision played in reconciling your society? The church played a very crucial role mm-hmm. uh, in restoring the hope of those people. Uh, when you look at uh, what the church has been doing, it is not different from what World Vision has been doing. Because World Vision also arrived in Rwanda after the genocide, right after the genocide in 1994. They were here in Rwanda. And uh, they were using this uh, biblical approach uh, to promote peace and reconciliation. The materials that we were using, they always inspired by the Bible. Mm. World Vision was working with the church very closely to promote uh, this and reconciliation among London until today. That's great. One of the themes is, you know, as we've talked about this some already, Sam, is that uh, the, this theme of one Rwanda, where it's no longer divided by Hutu and Tutsi. Uh, in your, you know, in your interactions with Rwandans, how have the people become united again despite everything that happened 25 years ago? I mean, it was so horrifying, but how have people learned to forgive so quickly? Well, in the communities that we saw, it seemed like, uh, you know, just the strong understanding of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to uh, forgive those who trespass against you. Um, in one of the areas we were in, uh, there was a, I want to say, a predominantly Catholic community. Uh, there was a Catholic parish that was uh, very instrumental in, in leading um uh, kind of like these courses, almost like a class mm-hmm. for uh, a handful of, of genocide perpetrators and, and genocide uh, survivors or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people who had been trespassed against and mm-hmm. really uh, kind of teaching them how to forgive, how to move on, and not even just how to, but just why why it's important right. and to not only forgive but to do that from the bottom of your heart from an authentic level. Uh, here in the U.S., you know, we – we say, okay, you know, we forgive people who trespass against us, but I've seen, like, uh, people in my family for just kind of have rifts between each other for a long time over petty matters, but mm-hmm. here you have a country full of people who have been through, you know, the, the worst, worst atrocities yeah. you could ever imagine, and they're, you know, 25 years later just getting along, and you would almost never even know that this happened. Mm, that's amazing. Now, while you were there, you recorded some music of people singing in the Nyamasheke district in Huye, where Amaiblay is joining us from today. We're going to play some of that now. Tell us what's going on here. Well, when we, when we first arrived there, uh, we pulled up in our uh, SUVs, and they were already dancing and, and singing and happy to see us, really hospitable, really making us feel welcome. It's amazing. Uh, then we, us reporters and everybody else on the World Vision trip, they basically 
put out chairs for us uh, to sit down, and they would come out and kind of give their testimonies. That's where I heard the testimony of the the one woman who, who built the house brick by brick. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so then after that, they showed us, you know, all the the I think they were I guess bags or baskets that they had made hand by hand. Some baskets took them maybe three days to make, but that's mm-hmm. another way how the association's empowering right. them. So they made these baskets, and all the reporters bought some off mm-hmm. of them. Um, and then after we bought some off of them, they celebrated and, and uh, did this dance for us, uh, dance uh, song for us as we left. So I can play that for you now. Okay, great. Beautiful voices. Now, reporters were taken to see a rural village uh, where see how a savings association of 30 women uh, in this rural village was set up. Could you briefly describe how you know, these savings associations work and what the World Vision's role in helping communities, how they got them started? Um, and I you know, hear hundreds of these community savings associations are now in Rwanda. Um, how many are these now? And just explain that a little bit. Well, I know they're in the hundreds. Uh, I know uh, Imabile, when we spoke, he he would have a better idea for how many numbers there were. Um, but I know that, uh, you know, there's about 30 women or so that uh, a lot of them were making maybe as little as 70 cents a day uh, working in, on somebody else's farm. Um, so obviously very, very poor women. Um, they got together um, into these little savings community kind of associations. So they would each... Uh, I guess, put in a certain amount. They could buy certain amounts of shares. Then as much as they bought into it, they would be able to, uh, I guess, take a loan out for triple the amount that they they put in. So that would be like a micro loan that would enable them to go and, and in some cases start their own businesses, whether that's, uh, you know, craft kind of business or, uh, you know, uh, doing livestock, hurting livestock, uh, that kind of thing. But, you know, other other kind of ways they can put the money to use mm-hmm. to make themselves more empowered to make more money than what they were currently making. Um, and then, you know, th- there was a story of one woman there who uh, essentially was homeless, and through this association she was able to, uh, I believe the story is, if I'm saying it accurately, she was able to, through the association, uh, empower herself by starting her own kind of uh, entrepreneurial endeavor, mm-hmm. and she would buy brick by brick every day. So she would save up brick by brick to build her own home. So that's an example of how this uh, kind of community was it allowed this one woman to wow. go from being a homeless right. uh, woman to building, literally building her own home brick by brick. Amazing. Now, Sam, you and other reporters were taken to another rural village to see a water pipeline that World Vision had installed, um, had installed in a village. Uh, and before, the people in this village would have to walk you know two kilometers each way just to access drinkable water mm-hmm. you know some kids couldn't go to school because their clothes were so dirty you know what impact does just simple access to clean water have on a community well yeah you said it you know a lot of these uh families or people would have to get up in the morning early in the morning mm-hmm. and walk the about the average two kilometers uh, maybe a two-hour walk just to get to a a natural water supply so that would obviously take 
hours out of their day. Right. Um, and then obviously it had the impact in the fact that kids couldn't go to school. Mm-hmm. Their clothes were so dirty. So a lot of kids weren't able to go to school. Um, so world vision, uh, came in into this one village that we visited and they were able to install a few different, uh, water, um, faucets that, you know, a pipeline leading from a natural spring into this village. So there were different uh, faucets or outlets where they could just go out into the village and get some clean water as opposed to having to, you know, hike for two kilometers to go and access that water and the water that they have now is much cleaner. Uh, so kids uh, can go to school a lot easier and uh, has it and even the psychological level, right? right. You know, you, you have that, that access. You can see that these people are, are happy that what they, for what they have. And mm-hmm. um, even from a, you know, a, a spiritual level, you can tell that, you know, even though they may have so little they're, they, they're happy. Grateful with, with for what the, the something, the simple things is yeah. water, the things that we take set for, we take for granted here. How have you encountered the presence of God in personally, as you've watched your nation, you know, recover from from all of this, what has been a moment how you've encountered the Lord in a very real way? I mean, we've we've seen this marvelous work and this reconciliation that we've discussed, but for you personally, how has God, you know, spoken to you and you know moved in your own heart and life as through these past 25 years, you were just 17 when this all happened, but now you're working as program director for World Vision. How have you seen God work personally, and what do Americans need to know about how God's working in Rwanda? Yeah, uh, I was born in a Christian family, and then when the genocide uh, happened, uh, I had lost my mother like six months before, mm-hmm. uh, but not because of the war or the genocide. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was sick. I was an orphan, but uh, fortunately, I already knew God. I had already been born again. Uh, whenever I was discouraged, I could meet someone else to come and tell me, my brother, please. Don't give up. God is there. The country has been going through this difficult time, but uh, we are here. There is there is hope that things will go well. Mm-hmm. So uh, I joined the World Vision as a volunteer. I worked with those uh, vulnerable children. So when I started working with them, they were always crying mm. in 2006, 2007. But after two or three years, I started seeing them all smiling, mm-hmm. and some of them got married. I was working with youth, and I said, you can do something. That's beautiful. Beautiful. Sam, is there anything else that sort of you want to share about how God stirred your heart as you were there, and just how you encountered the Lord and yeah, the hopefulness know, just, of the, I reiterate what's going on? The how amazed I was by what I consider radical forgiveness. I mean, mm-hmm. these, uh, the stories that we heard, um, you know, one woman we met, her arm was, you know, cut off. And mm. to this wow. day, she has befriended the man that had cut off her arm. And, wow. you know, like I said, I come from a Western perspective here in the United States, and I've seen small things tear apart families. families. Um, but just to see the, 
the brutality the that had happened yeah. and the, the 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 unity that I saw there. You like like I said before, you just would not even think that this is what happened 25 years ago. So it's just it's a testament to uh, you know true faith being lived out and uh, obedience uh, being rewarded. I feel like as, as we see Wanda continue to grow on through the 25 years, I, I hope that uh, that. Amabile was right, and that, that we, we do see Rwanda continue to grow. And as long as it's united, I think that's definitely got the potential. Hi, Amabile. Thank you so much for joining us from Rwanda today. I've so enjoyed hearing your story. We appreciate your work and your presence here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Welcome. Welcome.